Comedy Pods proudly presents Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. Oh, yeah. Theme songs. Ooh, I like it. Dude, theme songs. Are Top good. Yeah, 10 I like that. theme songs. Yeah. That's a very exciting list. I'm Joining me on the podcast today, episode 130, the top 10 theme songs, my good friend James Phelps. Welcome to the program. Hello. James. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, this coming Friday night at 1030, James and I are both performing at Club Cafe on a very fun lineup. Uh, doors at 10, show at 1030. Is that right, James? Yes. I uh, I stole one of these. You stole one of my pens. One of your pens. Uh, I forget where. Came upon it in the wild. Uh huh. I took it. I took it though. Well, I host trivia on Thursday nights at the Beer Hive. So a lot of times comics. It was the Beer Hive on Wednesday nights because they host it. the open mic. We'll find them there. It's a sad night. And snag. I'm the host of that show. Also <laughs> on our lineup on Friday, Colin Chamberlain. Oh, okay, great. It as was well, Ray at, that night, but oh, uh, mm. Ray was filling in when last yeah. time when you stole the pen. Mm-hmm. Well. Saw it and ganked it. I wanted it. Said, I want that. It's I nice want, to see his working I pen. I want my own Garrett Teitelbaum pen. I try to distribute them as I, I travel the country to put them in a few places. Maybe pick up one extra listener in, in Virginia, in Timbuktu, wherever I get to go. Uh-huh. It's smart. Uh, I, I don't particularly enjoy uh, when a comedian... Pencils. I hate them, too. <laughs> it's not pencils. Uh, I like pencils and pens. That's great. No, I think that's pro pens good, here. I'm pro <laughs> Just pens. the Teitelbaum pens. You don't have to buy them even. Just steal them when you find them. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, I have a tough time when uh, comedians make t-shirts or try to commodify their uh, their jokes. Uh, I have a tough time when, when they're selling, selling jokes like uh, t-shirts available or bumper stickers. That's a tough one. For That's me. a road dog move. <laughs> yeah. That's when you're a traveling comedian. Sometimes you got to sell some merch to uh, put a little money in your gas tank to get to the next town. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, pens is the least offensive, and that's why I, I kind of think that's uh, a better avenue. Well, I started hosting trivia two years ago, mm-hmm. and initially the guy who ra- runs the company had a policy where if somebody wanted to borrow a pen from you, they could give you a dollar at the beginning of the show, and you would lend them a pen. But then at the end of the show, it was an exchange, or I got the dollar. And it just seems silly for me to continue to have this podcast, have stand-up shows in the area, and be hosting in the same place every week and having this awkward exchange with people. And I looked into it, and it wasn't that much money to invest in promoting yeah, myself and the podcast. And um, they are. They're, they're at Driftwood Oven, and they're at the Beer Hive, because there are... Driftwood Oven has been a sponsor of the podcast since we started. They've been good friends of mine, Justin and Neil, part of the... It's nice to see he's working family, so I immediately, when they opened their physical space, made sure they had some pens. Yeah. And then the same thing, the beer hive, they just kind of assimilate into the uh, the pen cup yeah. there, as all the teams at the end of the night on Thursday. Into the community. Into the community fund for, it, for scumbags like you who need to come along yeah. and steal those pens back. <laughs> well, I use pens. And that's the sure. demographic that we're looking for on the <laughs> podcast. Pen thieves and... Well, if you have a podcast, there's no problem having a t-shirt. You know, you want to... If you've got something stable and it's um, monthly, there's no problem doing If you've got that. something to promote, yeah, it's, yeah. You, your concern is more if it's tied into a joke. Yeah, if it's a joke, yeah, jokes don't hold up. Well, a lot of the jokes that I've seen on t-shirts don't really hold up and it's just kind of a 
presumptuous. Well, and it kind of locks your act into one thing. Yeah. Depending on and for however long it takes you to sell those shirts. <laughs> yeah. What if you get tired of that joke? What if you? Yeah. It's not funny anymore. Or, yeah. You know, maybe only put your really good jokes on t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Unless that's it. Unless that's the joke, and you're gonna die with that joke. Then hope it was good. Hope it was good. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one of the one of the t-shirts that I really enjoyed was Alex Stipula's um, "Touch Dicks" t-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, those were uh, those were fun. I bought two of them, and uh, they both ended up with a crazy ex girlfriend in Missouri. So. Uh, if you're out there listening to Missouri, uh, go fuck yourself. Those were $15 each. Uh, that's a lot of money for a single print t-shirt. But thank you, Alex, because that was, I like that joke. I think that was. It's a great joke yeah. and a great shirt, and it's <laughs> yeah. available at alexdepula.com. <laughs> Dolphins are garbage, his album, if you want to check it out. He is not on the show this Friday night. Nope. But you can check out Colin Chamberlain, who's been a part of this podcast, and Mike Sasson, as well as Vanessa St. Clair, Helen Wildey, James Phelps, myself, Christina McNeese, and James J. Hamilton, all on a fun lineup. How did you get affiliated oh, with Club Cafe? Because you've been promoting shows. I first met you and got affiliated with you back on the north side at James Street Gastropug when you were working there. You've booked a ton of rooms since then, and now yeah. Club Cafe is a pretty big venue here in the city. Yeah, I just took the jump and uh, emailed the guy that runs the shows there. And um, luckily, he doesn't know me, so we are able to do the show. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that was as, as simple as that. I just told him that I've, I've done shows before and I'm interested in doing it there. And he put us on. Awesome. It's very easy. A lot of people are like, hey, congratulations on getting it. And all it took was to just email the guy, reach out and have people to come and do it. Do you think most people don't realize how many places there are that are willing to put up comedy shows, places that would be interested yeah, I'm. I don't think um, if if people aren't aren't used to talking to management, they're gonna think that somebody else came to them for it. Uh, but no, it's as easy as going to the establishment that you would like to or have the idea to, and then uh, talking to them and setting it up. And it doesn't hurt that if you have like uh, a backstory with them, or if they know you and you can you know vouch that you're funny. Um, Certainly, I'm not that funny, but they uh, trust me and they put me on and they know I can get the people to come to do it. So that's doesn't hurt to have that. So how did you get into promoting shows in the first place? Um, just doing comedy in general and not having a place. Uh, I miss the funny bone. I miss uh, being able to have a comedy place, a uh, safe zone for um people to sign up and uh to be put on stage um i miss that so uh whenever i would go to bars uh i would i would offer if they would like to do a comedy show and that just kind of took over from there um being able to do it luckily having uh people giving me the opportunity to do it uh like zamir from the park house okay uh james street um the hussar uh, some friends at Spirit. Um, uh, Alex and I, a long time ago, did uh, a country club. Um, 
Yeah, just getting to know the people at uh, establishments and um, setting it up. It's actually pretty easy um, if you're willing to throw yourself in front of those trains, you know, if you're ready to do a comedy show. I mean, you don't even have to be that funny, like I said. Like, you could, people will trust you. Just go up and uh, ask for the opportunity. And uh, if you're funny or not, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as far as your ability to tell jokes, what was it that pushed you to start going to the Funny Bone before you were promoting your own stuff? Like, what started you out telling jokes in the first place? Um, well, I've always been uh, a joker, I guess. I've always been a comedian. Um, always class clown. Uh, always uh, fighting for the attention of the... The class, uh, always a teacher's worst nightmare. If I walked into a classroom, uh, I was always in direct competition with the teacher for the kids' attention. <laughs> uh, I think making people laugh is very important. Uh, it's, it's something that I get off on. Uh, and I find a lot of things in life to be funny, whether they're funny or not. And it just kind of seeped into... Looking for ways to yeah. find the levity in, in the day. And entertain. Entertain and attention. Those are things that I love. So uh, that. Plus, I've been told from a very young age that I should be a comedian from people that weren't qualified, but I, I took the advice. And um, my mother raised me on uh, the Marx Brothers and Pee Wee Herman and just really weird off the wall stuff. I feel like sadistically, kind of, like maybe to get back at my dad, like my dad was a very stern type of person, so my mom would throw in uh, the Marx Brothers or Pee Wee, and I, I would just be going nuts at home, like as a child, just freaking out, loving that type of energy. Well, your dad's got a good uh, head about him for comedy, though, too. I know he's yeah. come to a few of the spirit shows. He does. Woody Allen has his place. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's a little bit drier, but yeah, no, he appreciates comedy, uh, Monty Python, all that stuff. Uh, but, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I guess comedy has always been a big part of my life. So, uh, it would be the best to get paid money to do that, uh, to just speak in front of people and we're working on it slowly but surely. So hopefully... If you're listening to this, you won't miss it, and you will come down to Club Cafe. Friday night. Friday, October 26th, Southside. Avoid the Southside monsters. Come on in. Have a lovely white wine evening with us. And if somebody is listening to this, not the week it comes out, you've got your monthly thereabouts show at Spirit. When's yeah. the next one coming up in November? Uh, November 13th, which you're on. I will be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's. Did I forget to tell you? No, no you uh, did. You told me because I have to head back for my mother's <clears> birthday <throat> the following week. So That's great. It'll be nice. And then Thanksgiving's right then. Which hey, is, Mom, it's your birthday. Come check me out. Mom, come on up. <laughs> come on down. Come up. Right. I never see parents in the crowd. I've seen your father. Has your, yeah. your mom influenced your comedy? Has she come to see you perform yet? No. Um, Is that by she, choice? On yeah, your I, don't part think she, I don't think she wants to see it. Okay. God bless her soul. She uh, She's not dead. She's still alive. But I, I don't think she'd particularly enjoy the type of comedy that I was uh, dishing out. Not not safe for <laughs> any mothers no. or just your mother? Uh, I guess it could be safe for mothers. I still in Pittsburgh haven't found the right niche group of uh people uh there's there are certain crowds that are 
they they they're here for comedy, but um, it's tough in Pittsburgh to find a good crowd. I think that's the perception people have nationally sometimes that Pittsburgh, maybe not that it's tough to find a good crowd. I do think we have venues that put together good audiences, but at least um, for some national people you hear on podcasts say, at least under old regimes, the improv, it's a tough room to make laugh or it's difficult to kind of get a feel for what Pittsburgh is looking for in comedy. There you go. Yeah. Like I said, um, since the places that we're doing comedy at now aren't comedy clubs, they're bars that are putting up comedy shows. Um, sometimes, well, most of the time people are caught off guard and they're not there for comedy. And so you're not going to get a a great reaction, but, um, you know, in cities like New York or LA or Chicago, you're going to find people that are there for the comedy, hence the great crowds, hence the, you know, the, a mass of people trying to make it there. Uh, but in Pittsburgh, it's very, still much a, uh, a place coming up in it. And so most of the places that there are comedy, like the Beer Hive, uh, Hambones, or what is now considered Burning Bridges, Burning Bridges Comedy Club, comedy club uh, they're still bars putting on comedy shows. It's still not. Well, hopefully, uh, once in a while you'll get a good crowd there for comedy, but mostly it's comedians doing comedy for comedians, and that's that's tough sometimes. Even from what I've heard a <clears> lot of, these New York open mic sort of situations are that too, though. Yeah. It's a lot of comedians telling jokes in front of other comedians. And if you get a few real audience members and that's why those paid opportunities that do come along and these new kind of ventures in town, hopefully help to grow the talent to the point where more people can do those paid opportunities. More yeah. people can get in front of real audiences, both inside of the city and through the, um, the promoters and the bookers that we have in and around the area. Yeah. Uh, I've, I saw the, I went to the Comedy Cellar in New York, and it was my first time to a big time comedy place, and the the people that were up there they were they were funny, uh, not my type of humor, but man, everything they were saying was killing it, and to see that was just like wow, man, get me the fuck up on that stage, like please, you know, uh, just that type of vibe. Uh, it was the first time I was in a club to feel that, and. Um, man really really want that kind of attention when you're here sometimes you just if i see somebody go on stage and and tell a an awkward joke sometimes i just want to leave you know because of that (laughs) yeah if somebody if if i see somebody die for a moment it's it could be an anxiety drive but if you've got a good crowd man it's it's the best well there's a big difference between performing for people that are here to see a comedy show and people that thought they were going to be at this bar to watch the hockey game. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's a very different uh, objective. And we've done it. And yeah, depending on when you get up at which open mics or, or showcases, sometimes even, um, there might be TVs on, or there might be obstacles to overcome mm. between you and the audience kind of connecting. It is very special to be in those places like a comedy cellar where everyone who showed up is at least enough of a fan of the art of stand-up that they came to this place that's important to a lot of people to hopefully see somebody who's been passed to do a drop-in set to to catch a name. I know that you mentioned the Marx Brothers and Monty Python kind of coming from your parents. Do you remember, you said you were always into comedy, when you first started to kind of go see comedy live and get to experience that sort of a feel? Do you remember the early kind of comedy shows you went to? Wow. I, I don't... Um... It took me up until an adult to go 
see shows just in general, even even bands and things like that. Um, uh, I can't think of any comedy shows uh, that I've sought out. Um, well, just recently, I've been able to um, afford to go out and see people that I really enjoy, um, like T.J. Miller, uh, Nick Swartzen, Maria Bamford. Oh, yeah, we were um, both at Maria Bamford a yeah. week, or so, week or so ago. She is really great. She uh, crushed. Front row seats. That was pretty pretty cool. Um, but no, I, couldn't, I can't think of any. Um, I remember my mom showing me Gallagher. You know, yeah, like, certainly. I remember like, watching. Gallagher I probably would have. Days. I would have seen Gallagher had I had the, you know, the um, the poncho. Yeah, the poncho, the poncho right up front, uh, to avoid all the the watermelons uh, and the lettuce. Um, had I had the money and the the ability to go see them. Um, but no, no, I don't. I can't think of any um, younger. When I was younger, uh, any of the first comedians that I would like to go see. I think the first comedy show I ever went to was, and it was people that I didn't really care for. It was um, Howard Stern's, like, there were a, there was like four people from Howard Stern, the Howard Stern show. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys from Crank Anchors, the, whatever his name, Jim, Jim something, the guy that does... Florentine. Uh, yeah, Jim Florentine. I saw him when yeah. I was in high school. He came through... Uh, Jokers back in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, he came to the Funny Bone, and I went and saw him. Yeah, it was a buddy's 18th birthday, I remember, because we were like, well, we're not strip club guys. We'll go to the comedy club. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Strip clubs are so depressing. Um, uh, Spearmint Rhino now has a showcase (laughs) on Mondays. Alex Homiak hosting that. (laughs) If you like tits and bits, head on down to the Spearmint Rhino. Check it out. (laughs) And we're talking about the tits and the bits. Uh, both of them can be funny, uh, but hopefully the latter is more. Um, no, but uh, Howard Stern had uh, Jim Florentine, and was m- more memorable was Beetlejuice. Uh, sure. The the short uh, guy Beetlejuice. Uh, the he was there. Guys. One of the whack pack. Yeah, it was the whack pack, and he had came out on stage with somebody else, and the guy basically talked shit on on Beetlejuice in front of the crowd and it was an awful feeling <laughs> and then they were selling at the end of the show um Beetle Uncensored DVDs and it was basically a DVD of Beetlejuice being naked in public and uh it was very very uncomfortable I ended up giving that DVD to somebody yeah, for their birthday <laughs> a signed copy of Beetlejuice naked maybe that's where your distaste stations. for merch comes from <laughs> yeah really maybe stop yeah. buying so much merch <laughs> yeah. at shows um I do remember buying like Adam Sandler CDs when I was younger oh Cheech and Chong Cheech and Chong the day we're recording this Adam actually just put out a, a Netflix stand-up special oh okay I'm gonna have to check that I out. will t- I just saw it got the uh, text alert on the way over here I like Adam Sandler a bunch of my friends are like you can't trust him uh, it's because of the movies he's made. He has but, had uh, some duds, but he's got I, some I like great movies from when we were young. I don't know if I would say I like them all, but <laughs> I would say I like more than I should. Yeah, Rose, my fiance, uh, made me watch Hotel Transylvania 1 and 2. Uh, 1 was okay. Uh, 2 was not. So, But 3 is where they really hit their it. stride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 3 hopefully. It's probably good too, but... Uh, Man, that that was a mind-numbing 
uh, yeah, they they go downhill a bit. But his old stand-up records, when it's like him and David Spade yeah, and Tim yeah. Meadows, they're some they're all really gonna laugh at you. Step. Yeah. No. Uh, the lunch lady song. Yeah, I, I'm way into that. The goat. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the goat. There's a lot of good Adam Sandler, but that's like when you get to do comedy with your friends and and kind of do sketch sort of stuff. It can be a lot of fun and to be silly and weird. And that is such like a perfect. I think everybody idealizes the cast of SNL from like when they were in junior high, high school age. Yeah. And that is certainly like the people oh, I looked up sure. to from like the Sandler era to like Will Ferrell. Um, that's kind of that sweet spot where I was watching it every week and mm-hmm. was making a point to like get to know the sketches and, and do bits. And they were on on in reruns and stuff. So I'll always have a little sweet spot for the Sandman. Yeah. Tracy Morgan. Uh, everyone was great. Um, <clears throat> Cheech and Chong, when I got the first tape, of Cheech and Chong in fifth grade, I remember. Man, that was that really opened a lot of doors for me. Um, we thought that was hilarious, and that was at the time. Uh, my parents, you know, y- your parents didn't want you to have that kind of stuff because it was just lewd and a lot of swearing and a lot of drug use. Uh, but just thought it was so funny. Sister Mary Elephant, uh, you know, the class, class, shut up! Like the the bits on that were just insane, and we would get our tape recorders and make our own little like, you know, uh, spoofs and gifts and stuff like that. Uh, uh, kind of like your own show to yourself. Uh, so yeah, I guess that would be the first time I actually performed, but it would be for myself. Yeah. On was that some cassette tapes a long time he, ago here in the area. Did you <clears throat> grew up in Pittsburgh? Bethel park. Yeah. South nice. Hills, South Hills. Uh, we moved around a lot and that also helped me being kind of a, a jackass, uh, class clown, um, we moved multiple times when, when we lived in Bethel park, I went to like five different elementary schools and then we moved to a different, uh, school district, upper St. Clair, and then ended up moving back to Bethel park. And so my life has just been nonstop trying to entertain and fit in. Just bouncing around trying to make friends. Yeah. So I found that entertainment was my best weapon, uh, to utilize to make people laugh and uh also a great feeling to make people laugh when they don't know who you are it's it's just a weird powerful thing uh when when you move to a new school district and nobody knows who you are and you've got like this already like this personality and you can make people laugh and kind of walk away from it that feeling that also got me addicted into the comedy um the the idea of it when you have to restart that much or that kind of often back to back as like moving schools, it sounds like, did you have kind of bits like you do in standup where you're like, this worked at this school. Oh yeah. It's another year later. I was like, I could probably try something similar. It's a lot of life is situational, but it's like, yeah. if you're in these exact situations, especially in a school system, it's anything that jumps out at you. Did a lot of imitations, imitating people. Uh, when Ace Ventura came out in second grade, I lost my mind. Uh, Jim Carrey was the first person to me to see as an adult, uh, making just wild craziness be acceptable as an adult. Um, I really dug in to that like a tick. Uh, Ace Ventura was huge for me. Uh, my parents would let me watch, uh, in living color. Jim Carrey was a huge inspiration for me. Um, just because... When he did come out, man, what a trailblazer. Like, he was all body work, you know? Like, he would 
he like I heard he had uh, a bit on stage where for a half hour he would do an impersonation of somebody trying to smoke a cigarette while whitewater rafting. Like, and I <laughs> totally I love that type of humor, like that just off the wall. And I was kind of like that, just wild and like you know moving around, body kind of stuff, face stuff, um, uh, impressions. But I, I really got into that, and that was um, that helped me transition because people could see that I liked it. Uh, Ren and Stimpy, really weird st- things. Yeah, like that. certainly. Uh, but yeah, no, that that stuff helped me get along with the other kids, uh, find a middle ground. And who didn't love Jim Carrey whenever Ace Ventura came out? Have you watched as any a child of- at least? Oh, absolutely. And Dumb and Dumber is an all-time mm-hmm. quotable. Uh, Couldn't watch it now with my dad. My dad and I watched Ace Ventura one. And then we were thinking about moving on to number two, and it was just like the first five minutes of number two, I could tell my dad was like, turn this fucking shit off. It was too much, yeah. ruined it. Like I said, he's Woody Allen, (laughs) and I'm Jim Carrey, but um, yeah, that was it. Have you seen any of his new show, Kidding, where he's like a Mr. Rogers type host? I heard it's really dark. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I could be interested. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on board. Uh, Somebody was giving him shit about his last documentary, and it's like... Yeah, he's, you know, he's a psychopath in a way. Uh, well, he he was, embraces it. Yeah, he was being a method actor as Andy Kaufman, but it was also <laughs> 10 years later. It's not like, or probably 15 or 20 at this point since that movie came out. So you're going to judge him based on what's in that movie? How are you going to be an actor without some type of method? You know, you got to dig into it somehow. Yeah, I don't know. I think there are a lot of people who can break out a character, though, that don't maybe go to those extremes of I need to be an asshole to these people around me to prove a point that I'm a different person now or that that's what Andy would want. And then at that point, I guess you're honoring him as a homage, but it might not be the easiest thing to be around. There's probably more polite ways to, uh, that's, that's one way to get away with being an asshole, I guess, to your partner, to your cohorts. Yeah. Some people can't do it. Uh, Gary Shandling, I saw his, um, great documentary from Judd Apatow and he, he looked like he couldn't do some, a lot of the acting that was going on in big time movies and stuff where a director would tell him what to do and he'd have trouble. Uh, so I guess there are some people out there that aren't, aren't method that, that won't be, that can't do that kind of stuff. Well, there's some, there are different types of comedy. <clears throat> there's different, and obviously not everything that Jim Carrey has done has been comedy or Gary Shandling. They both had, you know, roles that have some drama to them, but that's probably not what they're best known for. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything that you're currently like passionate about TV wise, stuff that you and Rose check out on a regular basis? I'm really into Ozark. I love Ozark. It's very, uh, I love Jason Bateman as the bad guy. It's a good. It's a. It's kind of like Breaking Bad, but more insane. And the actors in that show uh, are great. There's just. It's one of those shows that shit hits the fan right away, and they're doing the craziest things possible. Uh, we keep up on with Bob's Burgers. Yeah. I love Bob's Burgers. Uh, that's a big I deal to just me. Just binge that this year. I uh, like it Gene, a lot. Uh, all of them. Zeke is my favorite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a great new episode with him last night. Um, I got the Halloween. Halloween one's my next one to watch. The Halloween, that's it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bob's Burgers. We love... Uh, just got into Flight of the Concords. They're great. Very talented, yeah. They're really funny. Um, 
Bob's Burgers. I love Gene. I love John Robertson, Bob's Burgers. I love that uh, Linda. I didn't know that Linda was a guy, and John yeah. Roberts is great as her. Um, Not, I mean, I'm, I was just trying to think of stuff for our theme song list, but I don't know that Bob's is one of my top ten all-time theme songs. Oh no, yeah, no. It's simple. I do like where they change the title cr- credits every week of the different Exterminator van yeah. and the business next door to them. Yeah, and yeah. They, some fun pun. I can't businesses. think of anything off the top of my head, but there, the, that's always great. I love Gene, Eugene Merman, and Kristen Shaw. They're all great. <clears throat> and you, I can always recognize who's... It's, it's fun for me because they always have guests like Thomas Lennon, uh, you know, uh, Will, Will Arnett. Well, no, not Will Arnett. But you, you can tell who's on the show, and that's always fun for me to guess. Oh, I always sure. win that game. Rose like, isn't that great at it. Kevin Klein as Mr. Fish Odor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis as his brother. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, always fun. Uh, Sarah Silverman is one of the the twins. Her sister plays the other one. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. And to uh, Jimmy work. Pesto is one of the guys from uh, Mr. Show. It's it's fun to uh, to figure out the names who of people that are doing that. Um, but theme songs wise, no. Uh, I, I'm talking about like Perfect Strangers. I like it. Put uh, it on. Uh, there's. Uh, I can actually look a couple up. There's a guy. There's one guy that is very good at making theme songs, and he does the Full House. He does the Perfect Strangers, and this guy is so good at what he does that they're they're the best. They're the best theme songs. But this guy has. He's dialed it, so he's got he's got them all. And he's like, retired at this point. Hung what, up. what a genius! If just to have, uh, I knew Alan Thick, who was the dad on <laughs> Gro- was the dad on Growing Pains. I thought he had written a good number of theme songs, to my knowledge. Too. You would think so if you saw him, right? Yeah. Uh, he looks like he he writes theme songs, but uh, uh, whoever this guy is is a genius. I've been following his work. Uh, <laughs> And it's funny that it's just one guy. Uh, he He's got his own top ten. With the whistle, with the Perfect Strangers theme song. You mind if I play this? No, go ahead. We don't have to worry about copyright. <laughs> Nobody's listening this far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, this is uh, Perfect Strangers. One minute. It's only one minute. Flawless. Balky Bartokamos. I had you turned up for the music. That's okay. It's a very good scene. Balky. To get that is perfect. Like you heard how perfect the breakdown, all of it, the harmonica. That's just one of the many. This guy did so many shows, and I'm a big fan of cheesy theme songs. And that's it. That's uh, it. You can't I, beat it. Number one. 
just like, what does this guy got to do? You know, he's sitting in his room. Give him the he's, Grammy every year. He's forever. probably doing like a bunch of cocaine in a hotel room. I think so. Freaking out, breaking things. Got to find the right, got to find the right, you know, the right, the right hit for what's the story of Perfect Strangers? It's a guy who moves to Chicago with a, uh, you know, a, a guy from Mipos. It was a made up place. Balky Bar Takamos was from Mipos where they, Heard goats and, uh, you know, just the story itself. Like, what what insane boardroom was like, yes, that's it. That's perfect. We're <laughs> going to be in Chicago. His name's Belky. Uh, we'll give him an accent. You know, Gordon will be the uptight one. Belky will be the loose one. And we'll just... It's just we'll the odd couple re we'll, we'll see how things work out. And then they give it to a guy. This is the idea. Here's, uh, here's what the idea is. Uh, Make a theme song. <laughs> and then it comes with that, you know, like he comes up with that and it's like, hit, you know, it's the things that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Uh, just recently, Rose and I, uh, whenever we pass each other in the apartment doing things, uh, I will go, um, we are farmers and she'll go, bah, 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 bah. you know, we're, That's we're, a ingra- couple, but we're, sure. we're, we're ingrained, you know, we're ingrained with these, uh, that that's the key to partnership. Yeah, having a bit insurance, having a, yeah, <laughs> having a jingle that you both like. Yeah. <laughs> well, the two of you are about to uh, here in the next few months become parents for the first time. It's yeah. got to be very exciting for you. Yeah, it is uh, bringing a baby into the universe. She's making bones right now. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, we have an app actually. <clears throat> uh, she has an app uh, that tells us the progress of. Our baby, and right now, uh, the baby is as big as a celery. Ooh. It is four point nineteen pounds, and it says, "You know, right here it says my baby at thirty three weeks." It'll say, "Baby's keeping eyes open while awake," which is ain't technology great uh, a nightmare. And then it'll also give you what it would be like if it was an animal. So we have a ferret. Oh. Uh, she's gonna give birth to either a stock of celery or a ferret. And I'm into both. Uh, celery's good with peanut butter. Ferrets are good for training to steal things from other people. I uh, see it says here their name means little thief. Has she been stealing all your food lately? That's a bet <laughs> against Rose. Uh, yeah, she has been eating all of Rose's food. But um, no, it's great. We're really excited about it. And I never thought I'd ever be excited about having a kid. I always thought that I'd have a kid at like maybe, you know, 99 years old and then be like, bye. But no, this is... Um, you get to live through another person's life for a while. After seeing the sonogram uh, and being with Rose, it was, it's like, I waited too long for this. It was just really nice now that we have a kid or now that we're going to have a kid. Um I'm turning 37 in March, and it really puts time in perspective. Um, be like, holy shit! Like when that baby's 18, I'll be, you know, 55, or yeah, I want to be able to like be there for uh, whatever it is. We're not gonna guess the sex. We're just gonna go in, uh, have it be a surprise. So I think that's a good way <clears throat> to go through life because there's very little that you can be surprised by anymore. Yeah, you can get spoiled on TV shows. You can get spoiled oh, sure. on the end of a movie. You can get yeah. spoiled, and I'm not equating the joy that you feel in those moments to the finding out that you have a healthy child. But 
what else in this world do you get to show up to if you want to and be totally blindsided by what happens? Yeah. Obviously, you know that there's going to be a birth that day, but to not know what you're getting, I think, is such a cool gift for the two of you to share. For sure. And it's also in 2018, you can't really, you know, uh, you could be a guy, but still say that you're a girl, you know, relate to as a girl. Like, uh, gender is open now. So it's basically like... Uh, Your baby could be a celery or a ferret for all we know. My baby could be 50 and still not know what sex it is. So it's very, you know, these gender reveal parties are are a lot, you know. Not as progressive as we pretend <laughs> yeah. to be as a culture. That's fair. Plus, who has the time for a gender reveal party? We're going to have a kid... Well, the goal, the goal is to get stuff from people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to scam your friends and family out of a few bucks to get you some extra diapers and some baby wipes. Talk about commodifying GIF or commodifying bits, making some money off of it. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, but I feel like a gender reveal party could be a curse if you're you're like, oh, it's a girl. Well, guess what? Uh, David is going to be dancing for a long time. (laughs) So there you go. And if it's a girl or a boy, we're going to, you know, still be the same kind of parents, you think? They can wear a tutu. We're we're totally open. We're we're down for the weird that's coming. And uh, whatever society thinks, uh, our child's just going to break through it, hopefully. And we'll support it completely into whatever wackiness it wants. Well, that's a good way to go into... Just hopefully no school shootings and things like that. Uh, encourage good decisions. That's, knock on wood. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's important. You have to pick a partner that wants to parent the same way as you. Because yeah. what if Rose wanted your kid to grow up to be a mass shooter and you were like, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is my cut line. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. It's good to talk about those things before you enter. Them. I kind of wanted a marathon bomber, but you know, the school shooters, I guess that's cool. No, just as long as they're not a maniac and they don't uh, bring any chaos. Just try to other than to us. Well, one question that we've been doing on the podcast for thirty weeks now. We started episode one hundred. Thank you. you. Um, I've been waiting to do this, by the way. Oh, I'm excited. So it's a big deal. So uh, very cool. Well, the question, as you know, that we ask is, what can we do to improve the human experience here on this planet? You're bringing a new person. Yeah. Into this world. What could all of us collectively do to make this world a little bit better for the future uh, Rose James Child? Because I don't even assume last names. As, as we know, we're progressive. Gender is over. Last names is over. Surnames. Just a kid. What, what can we do? <laughs> what can we do? Uh, teach your kid boundaries, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> just, uh, I guess, just. <clears throat> the one of my main concerns with this child is to let them be aware of what kind of crazy is out there and to just be ready for it because there's so many crazy people out there in the world and to just hopefully not participate in the insanity mind your business and um do your own thing you know just uh but also be aware and protect yourself of the absolute insanity that is out there uh, I don't know if that actually helps <laughs> but uh you know be be strong in your community and help like what uh I don't mean to toot my own horn but you know try to help with allowing people to do comedy shows and have it be free to the people that are up and coming not be um you know uh 
let anybody do it. I let anybody do it. Any anybody. I think everybody's funny. Uh, just participate in your community and help grow. Uh, and don't don't judge. You know. Yeah. What's your goal as a booker? I mean, obviously, you've gotten the chance to put up a lot of shows in a lot of different venues. Um, you talk about trying to have a place where anybody can get up. What's your ultimate goal in putting up stand-up shows? To help everybody um, feel like it's a safe environment to do comedy, to help the community, and to not be afraid. I think everybody that tries it is funny. I don't. I there's there's not one person that I've met that does comedy with us that I think isn't funny in their own particular way. Even if they're bombing to a crowd and the crowd maybe isn't getting along with what they're thinking, I think just the fact that they're going up on stage and you know expressing themselves, I can find something funny from it. Uh, it's It takes a lot of guts to do that, and I would like it to be a safe environment where everybody uh, could feel like they could do it. Even people that um, don't normally do comedy, uh, I encourage them to come do a show uh, do open mics, uh, try it because you never know who's the next George Carlin. You never know who's sitting, um, who's sitting on a gold mine, who's, who's got stories to tell and, and ways to spin it. And you, you, you know, you have your friends obviously that are funny as hell and that don't do comedy. You know, there's a lot of people, oh, there's a certain. stigma about it. So we want to release the stigma of, people being afraid to try and express themselves uh along with gender neutrality we want everybody to enjoy everything that's out there and comedy should be no no different there should be no like this is what's funny and this is what's considered good and this person shouldn't have any time and this person uh shouldn't be able to do this no we want everybody to try and everybody to spread their wings you know like the perfect strangers theme song would be right right now just like the perfect <laughs> yeah strangers theme song <laughs> we, says. we want everybody to feel happy in pittsburgh i want to contribute into pittsburgh being a comedy place where everybody's welcome to do it and uh not feel alienated or have it it's already a, it's already tough to go up on stage and express yourself and do it. Certainly. There's a lot easier ways to go out there and be validated yeah. than to go take a microphone. Like you mentioned before, it, it is kind of like a unique superpower yeah. to be able to get up on a stage and command people's attention and make strangers laugh. Yeah. And to at least hopefully for five minutes or however long your uh, time is on stage to let people forget about the other stuff that they have going on in their lives mm -hmm. to enjoy themselves for a night and make people happy. But when people find out that there's really nothing to lose, just maybe the judgment of other people, if that's hard for people to let go of, but really you're not losing anything. You go up and you do five minutes. What did you lose if people don't like you or not? It's, you know, the stakes maybe, are low. Yeah. The stakes are really low, but to right. some people it's very high. So to hopefully alleviate that and make this a non-toxic environment where they feel like they can go. It's hard to do uh, in a comedy community because people are very, you know, competitive. Sure. Um, and and I think at the end of the day, you can only get so far in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, what are you going to be the top of? At some point, we have a limited number of venues, a limited number of opportunities. At some point, you have to leave this city to find other audiences, to find other venues, to find a place to really see if you can 
pursue this as a full-time career. Yeah. There's a very limited number of people who are financially viable in this marketplace. And it's not a big enough marketplace to sustain much beyond where it is. That's why it's great when a new thing pops up like the Burning Bridges Comedy Club with four nights a week, three shows every weekend. I think they're they're doing a good job of investing in getting DIY local people from other scenes that want to come to Pittsburgh, want to experience Pittsburgh. And for the local community, shows like the Sunday residency that they do, where like one comedian, Ian McIntosh, for their first month in October, got to do a set every single Sunday, got to be on a lot of the Saturday shows too, and really kind of hone their craft. And that's what John and Derek are trying to do in what they're doing at the club, hopefully, is investing in our scene and growing the number of people who do feel confident yeah. to do 10-minute sets, 15-minute sets, 20, you know, eventually feature headline, MC, depending on what your goals are. There's opportunities now that weren't here before. So I like seeing yeah. the growth in what we have. Well, I'm for sure proof of it because if I couldn't, <clears throat> if, if I wasn't going to get space on people's shows and I didn't know... Um, the people that were running the shows, I, I went out and created my own shows and yeah. I got people to actually participate in it. And I got into the community that way, which was fun. Um, but we're in a t- time now with the internet where you, the possibility of making it without leaving where you live is, is possible. You True. know, um, you just, it's smart to put your stuff on the internet and hopefully have it work for you. Um, through that very uh, social media, various forms of social media. Very true. The world um, is a lot smaller. That's a that's a good point. I think for stand up, <clears throat> the way I've looked at it, you should travel and you should do you, it. You and not only that, but my hesitation in putting out material on the internet is that the bits aren't done yet. They're still being crafted. Mm. I'd like to get them to a point where I'm confident enough to tape an hour or tape yeah. a half an hour at yeah. least and have a set that's recorded and videotaped that I'm yeah. happy with. And, and then I would want the material out there. But with stand-up, so much of it is, once it's out there in the universe, it's tough to have it be new when an audience member comes. Yeah. People are constantly doing their research, looking you up. And so there's a lot of, I've used this phrase before, the power in the anonymity of working in a place like Pittsburgh. Because mm. you can have as much eyeballs on the internet as you want. Your shows are still going to be here in Western PA. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess... You know, a lot of people are like that, work on their bits and don't let them out until the right time, stuff like that. Like, Dimitri Martin was like that. You know, you can't find any of his stuff until he goes out and puts a special on, on, or unless you are at the club. Yeah. Uh, But we've seen bits from, you know, some of our favorite comedians at, like, the Improv and the Laugh Factory where they're working on their bits. And then you see them later in their specials, you know, fully honed. Um, But for me, I guess it's for me are, are people that think that way. Uh, it's you do, you do, uh, struggle with wanting it to be perfect and then have it shown. Um, but I'm coming to realize and grips with that. You just got to record stuff and put it out there. And, uh, you, you can still work on it and it doesn't have to be perfect. Even if it's, even if it's, but, you gotta what's, keep it going out. What's your process for editing jokes once they once they've kind of <sighs> gone seen. out there? Or do you do you kind of revisit them? Do you listen back to an audio tape? How do you go about trying to improve something, whether when it is but or when it isn't? 
as quality as it needs to be for stage. Usually through trauma, <laughs> trauma, <laughs> usually through doing the, the bits on stage uh, off of a notebook that I have, reading it from the notepaper, um, and uh, going through them over and over and over again. Um, I have a problem with um, sometimes not fully forming the joke, just putting the idea out there and uh, seeing if it flies or not, and then uh, coming back to it out of comfort, um, maybe to continue working on it or not. But in order for me to find something funny uh, to present it, I need to think it's funny and go up on stage to do it. If I, if I'm not if I don't think it's funny, then it's not going to fly. Yeah, you can't sell it if you don't believe it. And sure, that doesn't work a lot too. So it's a really tough process. Uh, but I keep my notepads and the things that I go through, and then I go through them again if I feel like it. If there's something too too much or not funny, then I'll I'll exit. But um, I don't I don't stop bits. I don't get rid of a lot of bits. Uh, just the more time that I have is better for me. Um, but so organizing in, it is tough. Yeah, certainly. And knowing how stuff feeds into the next thing, I think, is important to set up kind of a flow. Mm -hmm. So in looking to like, oh, I'm doing a 10-minute set this weekend, how do you do, do you have enough audio recorded that it makes sense to go back? Or do you just kind of look at the set lists and remember and kind of cherry pick what jokes fit well together? Well, this will be my first... Um, time to record in a long time i recorded a long time ago and it was at the hussar and it wasn't that great uh there were some funny things in it but um it was the first time i ever heard my voice and doing it and i was just like take that off i don't want to i can't i can't hear myself doing it uh but i'm gonna have to start biting in and 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 leaning in and doing it um uh, what I have planned is actually um, a little bit more, a little bit more flowy than as the usual chaos that I I do. <laughs> um, I probably still will bring a piece of paper up on stage to help me uh, get through, uh, but it's um, it'll be a little bit. It'll be a, yeah. It'll be a little a bit more. Um, I really enjoy the uh, the. Um, the improv, I really enjoy <clears throat> when it's uh, an unscripted, uh, they had a pick your poison show and it was kind of like, uh, yeah, it was like improv. They give they, you a topic on the spot. Yeah, they give you a topic on the spot and I like that because it takes a lot of the pressure of, for me, uh, being contrived and funny because it's so hard to put all my ideas into one, one, uh, one um, session, like one five-minute sure. um, set or uh, one ten-minute set or to host. Um, hopefully these club cafe shows will um, take the pressure off of hosting and put it on to somebody else, <laughs> which luckily Garrett Teitelbaum will be hosting this um, Friday, which is very... Uh, bless you, bless your heart. Thanks, uh, man. Give me some time to actually work on a bit and um, going into a club and having people talk to you can be very distracting setting up the show is very distracting there's a uh, lot of moving pieces yeah on top of trying to produce and host yeah so if you can take one of those things off of your shoulders and kind of go in and do an actual set it becomes a lot easier to focus on that 
for sure. Um, versus me, who doesn't have to produce or promote the show at a high level, other than having you on the podcast, obviously. Yeah. We'll get that, that bump from the beautiful bombshells who want to come out on a Friday <laughs> night at 1030 down in the south side here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Come on down. Bring your friends and keep coming. We're going to need it. We need it. We, we love it. We got a comedy lineup with Mike Sasson, Colin Chamberlain, James J. Hamilton, Christina McNeese, Vanessa St. Clair, Helen Wilby. Yeah. Myself as the MC, and of course, oh. James Phelps, who's been your guest this week on episode 130 on the podcast. It's going to be a lovely night. I'm really excited. I didn't do it earlier, but I will tell you that always improving our quest to figure out what we can do to improve the human experience here on planet Earth mm. is brought to you by our friends at the Greenbrier Treatment Center. If you know somebody who is struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, you can call Greenbrier confidentially at 1-800-637-HOPE. Or find them online at greenbriar.net. Always there. You're not alone. It's a struggle, man. Yeah, for sure. Every day sometimes <laughs> can be hard. But what do you do to help yourself stay focused on the positive and keep moving forward? Has having. Speaking about Greenbrier, uh, alcohol. No, joking. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was fucking bad taste. Um, <clears throat> I. Um, I, it's what do I keep doing? It's just to, uh, it's just writing, writing, writing will do it. Uh, if I think of a funny idea, it's, uh, write it down. Always writing, always writing ideas down. Always. Um, constantly giving myself something to look forward to, to work on. Uh, you got a, you got a couple funny ideas. Um, and the ideas just get better and better the more you write, uh, for me at least. Uh, I look at my books. I got one book. It's my Bible. It's got all of my bits Old Testament. and ideas. It's got all of my New Testament. Yep. It's a great book. Peter. No Peter's an ugly chapter. Um, uh, sorry, I ate a bunch of nuts before I came here on bourbon. Um, all of my old bits, if I go through them, I cringe. And now that um, it's progressed, uh, since I've kept doing it, the more recent stuff is so good to me and so exciting to get into and to write about and to work on. And sometimes, occasionally, I'll go back to the older stuff. And um, that stuff's pretty good, too. Um, what's funny about it is you, something that you thought about, like a bit that you thought about five years ago... Um, that didn't work out. You you just like put it on the shelf, and then you you go work on new bits and stuff like that. And then you you find yourself going back to that, picking it back up, and there's more funny things to it. Uh, your brain works on it unconsciously. You're a better writer now, um, or you've thought of it enough times in that span that you're like, oh, maybe if I start it this way, you become more confident with the material. Or there there are just things that you weren't ready to talk about yet. Yeah, it's interesting how it works, but it's always getting better, and uh, it's it's great in that fashion. So uh, I'm really excited to work on some new material and have it flow and and you know flourish. But um, yeah, making making the community better, hopefully. Making people laugh. Hey, man, you're trying to make the world a better place yeah, through comedy. Isn't that a good it way to live? It also makes some money, but yeah, I don't have any pens out yet or some t-shirts, but I, I definitely, the pen thing, I'm very, that's a good idea. 
You got it. That's a good idea. Well, I host trivia every Thursday at the Beer Hive, 7 o'clock, so you can come out and pick up one of those pens for yourself and then head down to the Burning Bridges Comedy Club for Derek Minto's open mic, which is the Thursday cheers of the comedy community. Yes. Um, which is the, the mic to be at. I used to host, like you talked about, like how I found my way or how you found your way into the system by booking this number of showcases you've done. I hosted an open mic at Cativo for the first year, almost year and a half that I was doing comedy. Yeah. So it put me in a position after moving from improv into stand-up to make myself somebody that people needed to come see or wanted to come see because I had a venue. I had a free open mic that people could come and do right before Hambones. So it was a nice way to kind of ingratiate myself into the scene by doing exactly what you try to do, which is provide something to the community that is hopefully beneficial. Yeah, we're the kings of the we're the kings of the future. The kingmaker, baby. The kingmaker. That's great. How was Kativa? I loved hosting down mm. there. I miss hosting an open mic. I've been thinking about it more and more of late. Trivia is a blast. I make the playlist every week, so I get to put on some jams. You are a great host at uh, whenever they have you at Hambones. Cause... Yeah, I filled in on the Monday night. Uh, you should have been here last week is what they're calling it now, which is a fun name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's You are a great breath of fresh air because uh, the people who do it on Mondays, uh, you, can, you can just see how much it taxes the the person, the host. It's the hard after host. a while. I wouldn't lie they to you. They uh, get frazzled, and it's funny to watch them kind of break down, but it's something that happens if you're a host that's trying to keep an uncapped open mic <laughs> and you have to also work in the morning. It's, uh, <laughs> it's excruciating. It can be, but um, I, you it, did it... Very graciously, and it was. I was so excited. Sure, I didn't want to cap it. Back when I was at Cativo, I used to cap it at 20, so I do understand the need to have that, but I was also not looking to miss the opportunity to do a set at Hambones either, so selfishly, I needed my mic to end by the approximate start time of their mic since I was starting two hours before. Yeah. So give yourself opportunities both selfishly and selflessly when you have the chance, Um, but hopefully we all... It's not a... uh, a track meet where we're running against each other. We're supposed to be on the same track team, rooting each other in our different races Yes, and not worry so much about what the other person is getting versus what we're getting. Things come in the appropriate amount of time based on the appropriate amount of effort. And it's, it's a good scene and it's definitely getting better. And I think it's thanks to having people who put up showcases like the one that we have on November 13th. Yep. Comedy Fifi. Yeah, comedy fief. It's a joke on uh, Kofviv. Kofefi. Kofviv. Yeah, whatever uh, the Donald Trump. We're trying to cut up on Trump. It's uh, It doesn't work. It, uh, people <laughs> are like, comedy fifi. And it's like, all right. If that's what you got from it, it's, um, you know, I'm always posting a picture of me, my face on Trump's face doing something weird. But the comedy fifi, it's it's interesting to hear that. It sounds like something Jim Henson came up with. But uh, Yeah, I could hear that. Uh yeah, like you were saying, it's it's nice that we are all like um, banding together and hopefully helping each other out in the comedy community. But when there is fresh crowd and they are not comedians, we will go directly towards each other's necks and slice. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> when there is a crowd there, you you definitely want to get there and unplanned comedy or not unplanned comedy, Burning Bridges Comedy Club, uh, Hambones is the place where you're going to have the most crowd, I think. On a Thursday night, you get the best, juiciest, 
uh, people are in, people are there, whether it's for comedy or not, but they come and check it out because it's free. Consistently, since I've been in Pittsburgh, it has been the best open mic, and I don't think anybody is surprised that Jeff, uh, the owner of Hambones, is willing to invest in comedy based on the loyalty and support that the comedy scene has shown him, not just on one open mic night, but two open mic nights for now the last three years. And even before that, through an improv, I mean, comedy has been at Hambones for a long time. So I'm very excited that we have now. It's been open almost one whole month. Next week will be one month. Uh, Yeah. Check out the final edition of The Residency this Sunday night for October for Ian McIntosh. And next month, they'll have a brand new comic who will be the uh, the new resident. So hopefully we'll be we'll be there. Hopefully we will be the ones that become residents. Would you consider yourself a resident? Not until they ask me. Right yeah, now I'm yeah. just the kingmaker. Yeah, the improv <laughs> former former disgraced improv mayor, um, retired uh, comptroller of the Swive. Uh, many a title, but the beautiful bombshells know to find me <laughs> at bombshells. Garrett Titlebomb. It's <laughs> yeah. nice to see he's working. You can check out the podcast every week for the last 130 weeks. We the women have of the night had so. the opportunity to sit down with some of both Pittsburgh and our country's great artists, comedians, people pursuing what they're passionate at, trying to balance earning enough money to live their lives while pursuing the thing that they're passionate about because it doesn't always happen overnight. James, if Did people. You get- Tom, did you get Tom Hanks? I haven't yet. I'm trying to get him for 143. So we've got 13 weeks to go, Tom. Please return my voicemails. I sent you many typewriters. What can I do to get you on the show? If I have to settle for Mr. McFeely, I will. But Tom, come on, man. You're America's sweetheart. Come be on the podcast. Even if you get Wilson, that's okay. I would interview the volleyball, yeah. Yeah. You're like, nothing sadder than a man talking to him. <laughs> Come on, Tom. Please. Please. Come in. We got lobster. Hambones has got good wings. We got it all. Hey, that's a good plug. Yeah. <laughs> if people want to find you, uh, is there a way to follow you on social media, Twitter, Instagram? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Um, it's uh, at, or it's uh, on Instagram. I'm on Instagram under the code name Uh You can just look up James Phelps. Uh, you'll see my senior pick as my um, profile picture. It's my news at 11. It's the cleanest I've ever looked in my life. Uh, check me out on Facebook, James Phelps Comedy. And also check out Spirit's uh, event page. We are at Spirit once a month. And that's Spirit Lodge in Lawrenceville. And we will be hopefully once a month. Or not once a month. We will be hopefully at Club Cafe Every couple of months from now on. So uh, come check us out. Come check me out. Give it up for Garrett Teitelbaum. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a, f- a joy. A true joy. Always. We're going to have fun Always on Friday. That's it, man. What do you say, kid? Uh, that's a wrap. Man, that's you're it. you're really neat. Great. You're the best. Yeah. Around. You have been listening to Unplanned Comedy Pods, a podcast collection.